um, after we had a, a really interesting conversation with Shannon, uh, I saw this article in the Sydney Morning Herald called More Than Half of Women Trying for a Baby Aren't Following Health Advice, But Why? <laughs> so uh, it says not enough of us properly prepare for what is perhaps the most significant event of our lives, having a baby. Um, so this is this article is talking about a, a study published in the MJA, mm-hmm. which says that seven in ten Australian women plan their pregnancies, but less than half do anything to prepare for becoming pregnant. So uh, they so they were talking about things like stopping smoking, increasing physical activity, uh, not using alcohol, and taking supplements uh, such as folic acid, I guess, um, and seeking medical advice about getting pregnant. So that was really interesting. So, so about half of women aren't doing that. I will say that when I had a planned pregnancy, it had never occurred to me to do any of those things. So mm. I'm definitely in that half of people who did not follow health advice. I didn't know that there was such health advice. Uh, and that's possibly a, a a function of having not, you know, not being pregnant in 2023. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) And, but it also made me think about what that means, I suppose, to be following health advice about getting pregnant. Now, we know that not everybody, um, I, I, so old statistics, and I can't remember where I read this or how true it is, is that it takes, that the average time that it takes for a planned pregnancy to become a pregnancy that sticks and turns into a baby uh, is around nine months. Mm -hmm. Um, Obviously, there are also uh, pregnancies that take much, much longer to achieve, and there are unplanned pregnancies. Um, I guess I wondered what it was to be in in a sort of constant state of planning to be pregnant Mm. over a certain period of your reproductive lifetime. Um, And why? So, so, okay, there's a few things. Partly if it's taking a long time to get pregnant, that following those health advices could possibly make it more likely that you get pregnant. But it also means that your entire life anyway is revolving around whether or not you're pregnant, mm. you know. Does it seem fair to also be having to do these other things if those aren't things that are naturally appealing to you, like not drinking or taking supplements or doing extra exercise, losing weight, whatever those things are, Yeah. if, it, if it's not happening anyway? What sort of pressure is that putting on people? Is that a slippery slope saying that women of reproductive age shouldn't drink? Because what if they do get pregnant? Mm. And the idea is that we should be following this health advice because it makes for healthier babies. Uh, It says um, health behaviours of both men and women are important before conception. The fetal environment is crucial for birth outcomes. The lifelong health uh, of the child 
uh, and can impact subsequent generations. And it all starts not before the baby is born, but before the baby is conceived. Mm. So the idea of inter- sort of an intergenerational justice or having having a responsibility for future generations by living a certain way as a woman uh, when you are a woman of reproductive age is really interesting and I will say kind of alarming to me. Yeah. And so I'm just really interested to know what you think about that, Chris. Um, well, firstly, I think this is another one of those articles that um, that sort of is extremely sort of, yeah, pronatal and um, like what Shannon's work was looking at in the the way that identity is bound to fertility for, for many women or, or the discourse of that. So, you know, just that first line saying, you know, what is perhaps the most significant event of our lives, mm-hmm. having a baby. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, though, that this is, on the one hand, I think um, in, in relation to a lot of public health uh, in general, this idea of being in a state of constant vigilance over one's body. Mm. So similar ideas, say, in relation to obesity, that we're always in a state of becoming obese. So we always need to be vigilant against becoming obese. And every micro decision that you make is one that is either for, is either preventative or causative of becoming obese. Um, Mm. So there's that similar and politics of prudence was a paper uh, Rosalind Dupros and Kane Race and Catherine Mills and others wrote, I think, in 2009, which was very formative on my thinking that went into my sort of work around lifestyle. But here as well, this, this idea of pre-pregnancy, um, that, yeah, you're a constant state of being pregnant of or, yeah. or of becoming pregnant. And this is reinforced by... Um, the work in epigenetics around the uh, early, what's the the thing that, not the social determinants of health, but the sort of developmental origins of health and disease um, is an area in epigenetics which tries to, yeah, say that, you know, in some ways it's what your grandmother did that is has yeah. a determining effect on your health. Um, and so, yeah, it brings up these questions of, intergenerational justice and supposed causes and harms you know should I blame my maternal grandmother for my you know obesity or should I blame you know is there some causative uh aspect and and so it's women often so yeah 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 exactly I was part of a paper actually I think I ended up leading the paper um which was awkward but uh (laughs) uh what did we call it yeah um it was sort of responding to this uh so yeah the developmental origins of health and disease is this sort of epigenetics um, movement where a lot of this research about you know what you eat before getting pregnant has a effect on the development of the fetus um but there is a group of people who are saying well we need to look beyond uh, maternal influences. So some people say that mm. the developmental origins of health and disease is really has become the maternal origins of health and disease. And so there is this disproportionate focus on women 
And so there's a group of people who are trying to talk about the paternal origins of health and disease. Yeah. And develop that as an epigenetic paradigm, which, yeah. Um, yeah, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but yeah, which some colleagues, um, Rizio Maloney and Elsha Lawson Boyd and myself wrote an article situating the father, strengthening interdisciplinary collaborations between sociology, history, and the emerging paternal origins of health and disease paradigm, where we basically say that if we're talking about food and diet in particular, that is family practices or, or domestic practices around food have historically and contemporarily are often orient around uh, the male partner or male children um, in terms of what's eaten. Uh, and hmm. that also there are dangers of going too far down that path because then um, it can, in a sense, reinforce certain heteronormative patriarchal ideas yep. of diets and eating. So, for instance, there are recent people research the importance of the family meal. Isn't the family meal mm -hmm. such an important thing for family cohesion and well-being? And often it will accompany a picture of, you know, the happy white family all sitting around the table with the male head um at the table but family meals are also a site a site of violence and um anxiety and belittling mm -hmm. and reinforcing of very unhelpful ideals and norms yeah yep. so i think that this article um is obviously would they would be saying that they're not doing that um but i think back to this idea of the pre-pregnancy or being in a constant state of becoming pregnant um yeah is clearly picking up and probably yeah part of these epigenetic discourses but then mm -hmm. also i think this longer and more pervasive discourse of that this sort of being constantly prepared constantly vigilant yeah. over micro decisions and choices yeah yeah interesting thank you very much <laughs> knew you'd say something useful well i mean i think it's also interesting coming back to the conversation we were having with shannon about um, sex education yeah and the lack of it but then i yeah to what to what extent would we want this kind of stuff included well exactly i'm just i'm just looking at another another i mean it's there's a lot going on in this article Mm -hmm. uh, where it says, for example, around half of women are overweight or obese entering pregnancy. If you have maternal obesity at the time of conception, you're more likely to produce a baby that's overweight and more likely that child will be obese, mm. which goes to what you were saying before. But, man. But then they also say that um, then uh, losing weight during pregnancy yeah, is not a is good bad. thing to do and don't do that. <clears throat> so it's, yeah, another one of these beautiful dilemmas um mm. that uh, they bind particularly women in of don't be fat mm -hmm. but don't lose weight now mm -hmm. and it's already you've already damaged your child exactly so i'm wondering then if you're fat and you get pregnant by accident what do you do because you know you're not going to have a good baby yeah. <laughs> i don't know <laughs> maybe cut that bit yeah anyway <laughs> Oh, yeah. Um, okay. Well, I think it comes, though, down to, as well, just the complexities of human health and, and lives mm. um, and that these are not um, 
yeah, obviously these are, you know, I'm, I'm not questioning the scientific rigour of no. some of these studies, but they are done in looking at very specific questions um, and with very specific biomarkers in mind mm-hmm. that don't fully account for, say, the this social, historical and cultural practices of things mm-hmm. like eating and the diversity mm-hmm. of them, mm-hmm. and they can't mm-hmm. account for those. Um, and I think going back to the Chekhov quote that I <laughs> used at the start of that talk, I think because there is so much information about this area and it's this sort of what Foucault would say, a discursive explosion of advice around what to do before pregnancy suggests uh, in and of itself the plurality of that advice suggests that there is no one true mm-hmm. answer. So... Yes, uh, and let's end there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, ah, uh, yes, yeah, yeah. No, I just had one final comment. <laughs> there was basically all of these things are presented as if they're sort of um, pre-pregnancy, as if they're somehow like neutral, as if women who are overweight or obese, um, who are of childbearing age, are like, oh, oh, it's mm. going to affect my baby. Oh, in that case, I'll lose some weight, as if they haven't been bombarded with all sorts of negative uh, just discourse around their bodies anyway, as if Mm -hmm. it's somehow sort of easy and manageable. And, yeah, it's difficult. And with that, I really will stop. Okay. Well, thanks (laughs) again. Bye. Bye.